0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. Um, If I have not met you before, my name is Sawyer Trapp, and I'm our associate pastor here on staff, and get the honor to bring us into God's Word this morning. Um, If you are new to our church, we'd love to get to know you and help you get plugged in. Um, We know it can be really daunting to show up in a church and not know everybody, and we want to help you change that. We want to help you get plugged in, find some friends, find some people with you to support you as you follow Jesus. Um, And we want to get to know you as well as the staff of this church. So we would love if you fill out that new form. If you go to our RiseNever.com slash new, or scan that QR code and and fill that short form out, and we will reach out to you personally this week, help you get plugged in and answer any questions that you might have. Um, Also, it's an exciting day today because we're doing baptisms at the end of the service, which I know I'm very excited about. Um, Yes, so we saw uh, two people for service and have a few more on the docket, but we could add you. So if you've been on the fence for a while or if you've been following Jesus and you've never taken that step to go public with your faith, we wanna make it as easy as possible to do so uh, for you to publicly declare that you follow Jesus. So we got some t-shirts, some shorts, some towels there in the back. So if you are ready to get baptized, Let's do it. Let's get you baptized at the end of the service. Let's go public with your faith. So we're looking forward to that. But today we're continuing with our made to play series that Pastor Matt kicked off last week uh, with the idea using kind of sports as this analogy for being on God's team. And if you missed last week, I'm going to catch you up that Christianity is not a spectator sport, that you belong on the team that no one is too important or not important enough to be on the team, that in order for us to be successful, in order for the mission to go out, in order to build God's kingdom, we need you. We need you on the team. And you're saying, okay, that's great, Sawyer, but I look at you and you're not very athletic, which is fair, I acknowledge that, yeah. Um, but I wanna I want say that you know God can use anybody. It says it right there in the Bible. So even unathletic me um, had, I had a bit of an athletic career as well. So um, in junior high, I I was on our football team, believe it or not. And you're saying, wow, Sawyer. Okay, so you're looking at me now and you're like, you're thinking of even more lanky, more awkward, uh, more acne. That's what's on this football team. And that was the pinnacle of my athletic career. Um, I did marching band and drama and lots of other stuff after. uh, If you wanna have a discussion after, I will challenge you that marching band is 100% a sport. So we'll talk about that after. But with all of that, in my junior high football career, which is a way too big of a word to use the word career, but one of the things that my coaches would do is right at the beginning of every practice, we would be forced to do a thing called a bear buster. And I don't know why it was called that, but what it was, it was a series of calisthenics. And so... Uh, about six series of 40-yard dashes. We'd have to run one, we'd have to do high knees on one, we'd have to um, do a bear crawl on one. And after all of that, we would have to go hit the fence. And what that meant was we'd have to run from um, the softball field where our practice was and run basics to the other end of my high school where was the fence for the baseball field, touch the wall and come back. And what this was, was to build our strength, our calisthenics, but it was also, if you wanted to be on a certain position on the team, you have to have a certain time on the Bear Buster. And I have gotten a good amount better at running since, but in junior high, I was not a runner. I was not a runner by any means. And so if you can think of awkward seventh grade Sawyer, tall and lanky, based on his running times, he ends up on the offensive line. The offensive line, yes. And we're not talking flag football, we're talking tackle. And so it was my job, it was my goal to run faster, not just to run faster, but because I did not want to be destroyed on the offensive line. And so one of the other things that was a part of this, which I hated at the time, but love now, looking back on, is when you were done, so all the skill positions, the wide receivers, the safeties, right, the linebackers would all finish quickly, but they weren't done. When you finish, anybody who finished before the last person had to go run back to where they were and run behind them, and run behind them. And so what happened is, and it, I'm not going to lie, it happened a couple times to me as the last person, is I have the whole entire team running behind me as I finished my Bear Buster. And at the time, I hated it. I didn't wanna run anymore if I actually finished not last. And if I was last, I couldn't imagine a thing more embarrassing, right? But what were the coaches doing? The coaches were showing us that it didn't matter how good we were as individuals, what mattered was the team. It didn't matter how soon we could finish. It mattered if the whole team could finish quicker because we had to rely on each other. We had to care for each other. We had to support each other. And looking back on it now, I could not think of a better thing for those coaches to do with a group of seventh and eighth grade boys to instill in them that it doesn't matter how good they are, but how good the team is. To instill character and heart and support and motivation into a group of honestly knuckleheads. And I think that's just a perfect image of where I wanna go today. As we talk about if we're going to be on God's team, and if we're gonna be on God's team, then we wanna be the best w- that we can possibly be. In fact, I wanna challenge us this morning that if we're going to be on God's team, that you should aim to be MVP. You should aim to be the most valuable player. But not in the sense that you have your stuff all together, that you're the best, or you're the, like the super Christian out there doing everything, but a flipped idea of what it means to be the most valuable player. I found a quote this week from one of my heroes, Peyton Manning, and I don't know if he actually said it or not, but I can't find anybody else on the internet who it's attributed to, so we're gonna believe it's true. And even if, it, even if he didn't say it, it's a great quote. And it says this, that the most valuable player is the one who makes the most players valuable. That the most valuable player is the one who makes the most players valuable. And I think that's not only true in football or any team sport, but it is absolutely true on God's team that it's not about how many things we can learn or how, how many things we can do, how many you know, things that we can work on in our own life if we're not loving the people around us, if we're not being Jesus to the people around us, if we're not loving how we have been loved and cared for the way we have been cared for. And so I wanna challenge us this morning, if we're going to aim to be MVP, it's not about getting more facts in our head, it's not about doing more things, it's about making the most players valuable. And so I have an acronym for you this morning. I hope it's a little cheesy so you can remember it. And it is MVP, MVP. So if you wanna be the MVP, you wanna do these three things. So we're gonna be jumping around a little bit this morning, going some, from words of the apostles to words of Jesus, because I want you to follow along to see that the entire Bible and certainly the words of Jesus and the New Testament all come to the same conclusion, that it's not about us, It's how we care for others. So if you wanna follow along in your Bible, if you're on the YouVersion Bible app, that's the Brown Bible app. If you search Bible, should be the first one that comes up. And then in the menu, if you click the three dashes in the corner, click events, we actually have the sermon notes all there so you can follow along. So we're gonna jump into the Bible. We're in the book of Galatians first. And this is probably a verse that many of us are familiar with. If you've been reading the Bible or maybe if you get the verse of the day, this is one that often comes up and it says this, Galatians 6.2 carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's a great verse, right? Carry each other's burdens. When somebody's going through a hard time, when they're struggling, carry their burdens. But not just for them, it's because you fulfill the law of Christ. You fulfill what Christ is calling you to. This isn't just a good verse for those of us who claim the name of Jesus, who are followers of Jesus, but any single person out there care for other people, carry their burdens. When they're going through a hard time, text them. When they're struggling, be there for them. Give them a shoulder to cry on. But the interesting thing with this verse is that the context that Paul has in mind isn't just for somebody going through a hard time, it's actually something much, much harder. Look right before it in verse one. Galatians 6, one, it says this. It says, "Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, caught in a sin, keep that in mind, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted." And so what Paul is commanding the church there and, and telling us this morning is not just to be there where people are struggling or going through a difficult time or a hard set of circumstances that we should be people who are so invested in the lives of others, that when they're sinning, when they're living apart from God's ways of living, that we, that it is our job to carry that burden and help restore them back to God's way of living. This then is not just a shoulder to cry on or a warm, encouraging text, but this is hard, heavy, possibly difficult work. But the interesting thing that underlies this is the reality that we're not airing our sins out there in the world. I don't know about you, but I didn't go on Facebook or on my LinkedIn this week and say, hey everybody, just wanna connect and list all of my sins that I've done today. If you did that, more power to you. Confession is good for the soul. We will pray for you, absolutely. But I don't think many of us are doing that. If we're living apart from God's way of living, we're likely hiding that away. Maybe we're ashamed. Maybe we're worried who is going to find out. And so what underlines this verse, if we're going to carry each other's burdens, if we're going to even help other people out of sin and restore them gently to the way that God has for them is we have to know them. We have to be involved in deep, personal, intimate relationships with other people where they and and we feel comfortable to share what is really going on, what is happening below the surface. So not just like on a Sunday morning when somebody asks you how you're doing, you're like, good, doing great in the house of God. And if that's you, then praise God. But I think for many of us, we say that and then we start thinking about all the things, all the difficulties, all the pain, and sin that is actually going on in our lives. And this brings us to our first point this morning. If we're going to be an NBP on God's team, if we're gonna make others valuable, then we have to to motivate each other. We have to motivate each other. We have to be so invested in the lives of others that we can speak truth, that we can bring God to them, that we can show them that the way that they're living or the choices that they're making or the consequences that they're dealing with aren't the best way to live we have to carry their burdens and help bring them back to God's way of living. And if we're going to do that, then we have to know each other. We have to love each other. We have to care for each other. We have to be willing to actually share what's going on in our real lives. And if we're going to do that, I I wanna introduce a new thing that I wanna make a part of our church. And it's this, it's a challenge to connect with two people every, every Sunday. Yes, of course, connect with God, worship, praise his name, grow in your faith, but I want you to connect with two people, an old friend and a new friend. And this has nothing to do with age. The age of the person doesn't matter, but an old friend is somebody that you already have relationship with. Maybe they're a part of your community group, maybe you're serving on a team together, but you have a relationship with them. You can be honest and vulnerable. They feel comfortable bringing to you the things that are actually going on in your lives comfortable enough to even share the ways that they're falling short, the ways that they're falling into sin. So as it says up there, I want you to reconnect with an old friend every Sunday or every week, to be able to have that relationship and knowledge, to be able to carry each other's burdens. But that's not enough, right? I don't know if you've noticed, every single week this place gets filled up with more and more people. And that is not just amazing, that is a challenge. Because it's going to mean that all of us are gonna have to step up. Step up to not just connect to the people who we already know and love and care about us and and we care for them, but to meet somebody new, right? Because you know what a new person doesn't have? What a new person stepping into this building for the first time doesn't have? They don't have people that know them. So be that person. Connect with a new person every week. Introduce yourselves. If you see a face that you don't know, just own it and say, hey, I don't know you. I'd love to get to know you. My name is Sawyer, let's connect. How are you really doing? Start building that relationship. Start feeling needed by other people. Be known by other people, know other people. It's only if we develop these relationships, it's only if we actually get below the surface that we can actually truly carry each other's burdens and motivate people. That's the kind of church that I wanna be. I hope it's the church that you wanna be a part of as well, a place where people are known and needed and loved and valued, just in the same way that God sees them. And I wanna shout you all out because you do that for me and my family. You do that for so many people in this church. Being on staff, I get to hear of the beautiful, amazing stories of the way that you are investing in the lives of the people of this church and this community. So keep at it. I wanna motivate you to motivate one another. Let's do it. Let's be MVPs. I mentioned at the top that quote from Peyton Manning. And I don't know whether it is something that he actually said, but he played that way, didn't he? It wasn't about him and his performance, but the way that he led his teams, the Colts, Tennessee, Denver to victory, right? A little bit of a sports lesson for us this morning. Peyton Manning started at University of Tennessee, had a great collegiate career, was in the running for the Heisman Trophy, ended up first in the 1998 draft, He had 14 seasons with the Colts. He took a struggling team, led them to 11 playoff appearances, eight division titles, three AFC championships, two Super Bowl appearances, and one championship title in Super Bowl 41. And then he went to the Broncos. And then he led the Broncos to division titles and winning, two. excuse me, going to two Super Bowls and winning Super Bowl 50 and then retiring. A pretty great career, right? A career that was not only about him, but leading his teams to victory, making other players valuable. And now he's argued as one of the best quarterbacks in history. He's always on the list, right? But a name that you might not be familiar is somebody who was competing for that first spot in the 1998 draft. A name of Ryan Leaf. How many of you know the name Ryan Leaf? Couple people out there. Ryan Leaf had a similar career in college for the Washington State Cougars. He led them to a couple of winning seasons after a lot of difficulty. He um, had a Pac-10 record for 33 touchdowns. He led them to their first Pac-10 championship and their first Rose Bowl in over 67 years. And was in competition with Manning for the Heisman Trophy. In fact, a lot of analysts think that he was a better pick in the 1998 draft. He ended up going second though, to the San Diego Chargers. And despite similar hype, despite a lot of emphasis on him, his performance in the NFL, as Kenton just did, tanked. After two lackluster seasons, after questions about his ethic and work ethic and maybe partying too much, he ended up on injury reserve for his third season and was out of the NFL by the end of it. So how does that happen? How does equal people with great careers in their college careers, with hype surrounding them, end up in such different places? Two lackluster seasons and then out on injury reserve or leading two teams to multiple Super Bowls and titles and an MVP. How does that happen? I think it's the same challenge for us as followers of Jesus. It doesn't matter the hype around us. It doesn't matter the words that we say or the things that we can talk about. It matters in our actions, right? If our words don't translate into actions or performance or when the game is happening, when we're in crunch time, when the Holy Spirit is pushing us to love or care for another person, to go out of our way, are we gonna perform? Are we gonna love? Or are we gonna fall short? I think this is the same idea that Jesus has when he's talking about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. Maybe you're familiar with this section. Jesus is talking about the judgment day that's coming where each person is going to have to stand before God and give an account of their life, and he tells them this. Then the king will say to those on his right, these are the sheeps, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we, were you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothed you? When did you go see you when you were sick or in prison and go visit you? I love this. The king will reply. Truly, I tell you whatever you did for the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me, my emphasis added. And if you're familiar with what Jesus does next, is he says the king is going to turn to the goats and he's gonna say, "What? when did you feed the sick? Excuse me, feed the hungry. When did you give water or a drink to someone who's thirsty? When did you invite the stranger in? When did you clothe those who need clothes? Because whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. I don't know you. Haunting words, right? so first hear this, if you have accepted that free gift of salvation, if you are covered by the blood of Jesus, then that's what God sees. So if you're falling short this morning like me, if you're not loving the least of these, turn to Jesus. But what God is getting at, what Jesus is getting at in this passage is those who have been loved great need to love great. And we have been loved greater than any other love ever. God loves us more than we can even fathom, more than we can even comprehend. And if we have been loved that way, how can we not love the people around us that way? Especially those that are the least, the lowest, the hungry, the sick. As followers of Jesus, we should love like Jesus has loved us. And so if we're going to be MVPs, if we're going to be on the team, then what the second thing we have to do is that our life should verify our faith. We should motivate one another to love, but that our life should verify our faith. It's not that we're doing good works to get us to God. God has come down to us and he's prepared good works in advance for us to do now to point people back to him. If our life doesn't show that we have been transformed, that we have been brought from death to life, then we're missing out. God wants to use you to love the people around you. They're missing out too. I love the book of James. James is so blunt and straightforward. And he puts it this way in James 2, 17, it says, "'In the same way, faith by itself, "'if it is not accompanied by action is dead.'" And as one of your pastors, as somebody who cares about each and every one of you, I do not want your faith to be dead. I want you to have a faith that is full and vibrant and alive and promoting you to action and love and care for your families, for your communities, for your kids, for your friends, for your neighbors, because God has put you uniquely where you are with a purpose. To love like you have been loved to make the most players around you the most valuable. So when push comes to shove, when the game's in the fourth quarter, when it's up to you, are you going to love or are you gonna miss out? Is your faith alive or is it dead? Are you going to care for the least of these, the way you have been cared for. Now, this is not to shame any one of you. If you can think of all the ways that you're falling short, that you haven't loved the least of these, that you focus on yourself, then friends, I am right there with you this morning. Because what God always does is he convicts me as much as he convicts you when I'm writing these messages. I need to love the least of these too. I need to be loving the way that I have been loved. And I wanna encourage you to do the same. I wanna challenge you to do the same. I wanna motivate you to do the same because that's where the fullest life is. That's where the best life is. Love like you have been loved. I don't know about you, but I am a big football fan. Despite the way I dress, hipsters can like football too. I just wanna shout it out there just as a side point. I love football, and especially this weekend, there was a great game, and uh, many of you know, some of you may know, I, I went to the University of Arizona. So I wanna apologize to all you CU Buff fans. Despite not a great performance from Arizona, we did sneak out that win, and I'm really excited about it. Finally bowl eligible, turning it around. I think we're gonna probably get destroyed by Utah next week, but that's all aside, because we're winners this week, right? And an interesting thing that you always see in football, whether it's college or whether it's NFL, is when some players score, when they have a big game or a big performance, right? As they cross the the touchdown line, what do they do? They cross it right up to God, point right up. It, it, It often is showed before, like if you're watching NFL, before they cut to Taylor Swift to see the celebration, they're showing that person pointing right up to God. And it's interesting, right? Like as someone who is a pastor, who thinks about theology, I always wonder what God thinks at that moment. Like is God like up there in heaven, like I got you, thank you for the shout out. I don't think so. I don't know. I could be wrong. If that's what God's doing, I I love that even more. But I think maybe God has maybe more important things to worry about, I don't know. He, He can handle all of it. So maybe he's doing all of that, that would be great. But it's interesting, right? And I think a lot of those players are truly genuine in that. That in this moment where everybody could be looking at them, looking at them to see their celebration, that the focus is on them and their performance, they're doing their best to at least try to divert people up to God, right? To try their best to take their moment, to use their platform to point people to God. And if a football player can do that in the middle of a stadium, how much more should we do that? How much more, when we get opportunities to point people to Jesus, when we get opportunities to succeed, or when people are looking at us, or the platforms that we have, how much more should we be pointing straight up to God? So if you wanna be an MVP, last point is wildly important. And the P is this, point people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. And as Jesus gathers his disciples around, when they're sharing this Passover meal, when he's about to wash their feet as his act of service, as he's about to move towards being accused and betrayed and hanging on a cross, some of his final words to his disciples are this. In John 13, 34 through 35, he says, "'A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples.'" if you love one another. Think about that. Think about the high bar that Jesus is setting. The love that he has for them, not only in coming down out of heaven in the first place, living a human life, the love that he has for his disciples personally, having spent the past three years with them, calling them out of their professions and spending basically all of their time together, but also the love that he has through his actions as he washes their feet, as he heals the sick, he cares for the least of these. And as he hangs on a cross, dying death in their place and ours. That's what the love is that Jesus is talking about. And if we're going to point people to Jesus, if our witness and our words are truly going to mean anything and make a difference, then we have to love each other well. We have to be people that care for those people in this church. Because if we can't care for each other, if we can't use our platform to point people to Jesus, then it doesn't matter the words we say. If we don't love well, if we don't live well for Jesus, then we can't point people to Jesus. And in fact, Jesus says, the quality in which that we love one another is how other people will know that we follow Jesus. So that leads us to a question. Would the people in your lives know that you're a disciple of Jesus by how you love? Would they know that you follow Jesus if you never carried your Bible, if you never spoke about going to church, if you never shared your faith verbally, would they know just by how you love that you follow Jesus? Sometimes, right? Maybe when I'm really feeling it, maybe when I'm following Jesus closely, but all the time, woof. It's challenging, right? It's a high bar that Jesus sets. But if our words, and yes, words matter, so please tell people you go to church. Please share your faith. Please answer difficult questions. Please be invested in the lives of people. Words matter your words are so much more valuable when they are backed up with a love that is filled with action in the way that you have been loved. So yes, strive to be an MVP. Motivate one another. Be a person who is invested deeply in the lives of other people that can lead them back even from sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let your love and your life verify your faith. Let it show that you follow Jesus by how you love the least of these in the community. Make an Operation Christmas Child box. Feed at the Never Rescue Mission. We need people, next Friday, Dwight? Next, this Friday, to help move one of, 5 p.m., 5.30, to help move one of our refugee families into a house. Be invested in the community. Show that you love Jesus by the way that you love. And you know what? Talk about Jesus talk about your faith, back up your faith with love and action that shows that you follow Jesus. But even if we try our best, even if we do the best that we possibly can through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not gonna get the MVP title. Because you know who is? Jesus, somebody said it. Jesus, come on. It's the Sunday school answer, but it is so true because Jesus is the true MVP. He motivated people. He called them out of the lives that we were living and he said, follow me, love like me, lead by my example. He showed us how to live. He showed who he was, his faith in the Father and his singular purpose to point people to God. And despite living the perfect life that you and I can't, despite never falling short, despite loving the least of these and everyone perfectly, never sinning, not once. He gave up his life for you and for me. People who constantly fall short of the love that God calls us to, right? Despite not deserving it, despite deserving everything in heaven, the Bible says that he became a servant of all. In Mark 10, it says this, for the son of man did not come to be cared for He came to care for others. He came to give his life so that brought by his blood and be made free from sin. That's the gospel. Jesus should have been cared for hand and foot and yet he cared for others. And he gave his life as a sacrifice in our place so that we could be set free, so that we could now love, so that we could experience the love of God and be promoted to love others. Do you love like that? Do I love like that? Are we following the true MVP, Jesus? Let's go out and love people like we have been loved. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way that you love us. God, it is so hard for us to even comprehend, but let us be reminded of the grace that we first experienced, that if we are a follower of Jesus, our life has been transformed through your love. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for changing everything through his life, death, and resurrection, for giving us an example of how to live and love of what it means to be an MVP. God, I pray over the people in this room and online that we would be people who love like that, that through the power of your spirit that we would be transformed and loved and set on mission to encourage our fellow believers in this church, to show that we follow you and to point people to Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us do that all the more motivate us and convict us and draw us into your love so we can do nothing more but share it with others. And if there's somebody in this room or listening to my voice who has never understood that love, who maybe for the first time through the power of the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, I wanna be loved like that. I know I've messed up. I know I fell short. But I wanna be loved like that. And if you gave up your life for me, how can I not do the same? So here in a moment, as we all pray these words together to be reminded of the love that God has for us, maybe that you pray that prayer for the first time and accept that gift of salvation and be set on mission to love others and point people to Him. So if that's you today, that you would pray these words for the first time as we all say them together. So if you repeat after me, dear God, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, save me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you and love like you for the rest of my life. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you have gone from death to life. The old is gone, the new is come, and you are a new creation. You can say no to sin. You can say yes to love the way that God loves you. And we wanna know and celebrate with you right now. We wanna support and encourage you as you're set on mission to love your neighbors, your community, the people that you're around. But we gotta know. So if you would be so bold to raise your hand on the count of three, we'd love to give you a book to get you started on your journey of faith. One, two, three. Raise your hand high in the air if you started following Jesus today. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in this place, the lives that you're transforming, the people who are declaring publicly that they follow you today in baptism. God, I pray that Arise Church would be known of a place of love, love for one another, but love in this community and a beacon of hope that points people to you. It's in your name we pray, amen.